shocking nature of many scenes in this film, it is definitely not recommended for the squeamish or easily offended. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker. Joining me, as always, is Brandon Hayden, uh, our other co-host, John Hoffman. He decided to go out side of town to a barbecue joint with his dad tonight on the outskirts of town and he's just finding victims to take down to his kill room in his basement so he's a busy man that's fine uh but in his stead we have our first guest of the season uh orion peter right correct yeah if you want to go by, by a different name I'm just gonna go <laughs> oh, get, cool. go by go by your your Christian name, I guess, so to speak. Your the the, the name your mama gave you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and Orion, much like Brandon and John, Orion and I, we uh, we go back. We've got some history as well. I've known you for quite a while. Incidentally, Orion and I we crossed paths before we really knew each other because my old band played with your old band at American University in dc in 2006 i believe hour of the wolf holy shit wow yeah i I don't need i didn't even remember that i was trying to think about how we first met because um i heard y'all talking about it on the last episode and i was like yeah how do i i don't even know if i remember the first time i met adam but uh yeah that was uh, that was an interesting show uh what was (laughs) it there was some straight edge hardcore bands that played and stuff and it was all yeah attrition played that Attrition, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then there was like this kind of ISIS band called Autokinaton that were on tour, I think, that played, if I remember correctly. Was it did Still Strong? Was that Still Strong played that show, or was that? I might, I don't know. I, I might be, I might be. I, I remember that show though, and, and there's only actually been a couple times that they've they've had anything out there, so that was a special one. Um, the, the university doesn't tend to do a lot of punk shows or metal shows or anything, so. But yeah. yeah, I mean, we saw each other a couple times last year. Got to run into you in uh, uh, what's the Seattle for the um, Northwest Terror Fest up there. That that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think where we really bonded was when uh, I went out with you all for the hooded hooded menace dates. Oh yeah, that was like one of our first tours too. That was a blast. Yeah, um, yeah, we're really lucky to get to, to have done that. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, yeah, man, I'm stoked. And I know you're a video store guy. I'm a video store guy too. So it's, it's always, you know, I feel like it's a rare breed when, you know, we run into each other and get to like really talk about fucking weird movies that <laughs> aren't good necessarily, but are <laughs> remarkable. You get to sh- get, you get to show your real f- true freaky side. Yeah, That's, that's right. the name of the game here. Yeah. Yeah, I worked at a Video American in Tacoma Park for like five years. It's like a, a East Coast chain, and they had like a couple locations in in Maryland, and uh, uh, their Baltimore location was John Waters' go to video store. So that's always uh, our claim to fame. And we were in Serial Mom, uh, the, the nice. Baltimore location, or Matt Lillard works. So uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was where I where I got my uh, cult movie education, and actually where I first rented uh, Ilsa, the, the old clamshell uh, Anchor Bay. Um, VHS that they, they did. Uh, That's yeah. amazing. I love it. Yeah. So, um, and like, this is the first time you and Brandon have met. I'm assuming you guys never crossed paths. Have you? Uh, no, I don't know. Well, if we have. No, we, we haven't had to, you know, knife fight for who's playing last or anything like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, to um, so what I wanted to do was I, I basically like, you know, we were talking about off mic. I want to kind of hand it off to you, uh, to talk about why this movie was particularly influential to you. Not don't go in too much depth, obviously, but you you have a band that is the namesake of this movie. So I'm I'm assuming that that would in, indicate that it has a, a you know a high degree of importance to you. Not only that, but you guys also use that amazing uh, typeface from the movie itself for your logo, which is like so recognizable. Yeah, that they. I think Rush ripped it off, or they ripped it off of Rush because it's basically the exact same font that Rush uses, and and yeah, they're both, Cana- can see both Canadians. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. No, that's funny. Uh, I I I didn't really even think about that until you mentioned it. Um, so obviously, an important movie to you. But before we get into that, wanted you to kind of educate us a little bit on what you would think are the origins of this being rooted in exploitation cinema and grindhouse cinema, obviously, and you know, how a movie like this came together at the specific time that it did, because obviously there had to be a confluence of a lot of cultural moments at at that time to create the condition for a movie like this to not only happen, but also be successful. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's like the, one of the weirdest parts about it is that like now it just seems like this, like really underground, like rotten thing. That's like, you know, just what's only been shown in like the dirtiest, like, you know, grindhouse and porno theaters and stuff. But this was like a really big movie when it first came out. And I don't know if you, if you've said it already, but we're doing Ilsa, the she wolf of the SS. And, uh, right. which was the first of a, of a series. Um, there was three, three of them, four of them that they did. Um, Ilsa, the she wolf of the SS, Ilsa, the harem keeper of the oil sheiks, um, Ilsa, the Wicked Warden, which was actually a ripoff movie that Jess Franco directed, um, that mm-hmm. they called Greta originally, um, and then later on was re- renamed as Ilsa when it was released in the U.S., blah, blah, blah. And then there, the last and final one was Ilsa, the Tigress of Siberia. So they kind of have, like, shifted her around into basically all of these different, like, uh, ideological extreme, like, uh, government positions of authority um, whether yeah. it's the doctor of a women, uh, women's prison camp, uh, medical prison camp, as uh, in the She Wolf of the SS, or 
whether it's like a women's hospital, a mental hospital in um, Greta, uh, the Wanda, the Wicked Warden, Elsa, the um, Mad Butcher, whichever title you choose. Uh, the harem keeper of the oil sheiks, she's just that, the harem keeper of an oil sheik in <laughs> 70s uh, uh, Saudi Arabia or somewhere in some unnamed country in the Middle East. Uh, and uh, Tigress of Siberia, the head of a gulag. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they all kind of are sort of the like penultimate of like a culmination of these different like subgenres that have been sort of like forming since like the probably like post-war period in like the 40s really because it, it, it really comes out of the men's adventure pulp magazines and sort of the stories that were being told in those about these like uh, prison you know soldiers that were being kept in these camps that were ha- having to deal with these like dominatrix bdsm like women prison guards for some reason it's never really like the thing uh and like uh you know um uh the pulp magazines and stuff ended up influencing this like kind of popular, but sort of underground media in Israel, um, which was a new country at the time called like the Stalag novels. And some of them actually like were really famous and, and are kind of accepted as just like uh, historical um, descriptions of like the atrocities of the Nazis, um, like uh, house of dolls, which is probably the most famous one by this guy, you healed the nerve. Um, who went by his prison name, Kotsenik135633. And um, the House of Dolls and his other book, they called him Pipel, are basically like almost pornographic in like their descriptions of these like atrocities that happen, which um, he had originally said were um, was nonfiction and were real. And then later in years later, set kind of scaled back and said that there were these like compilations of stories and things that 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 they had heard of um and it was a really short-lived kind of like um sub-genre in, in pulp novels um it was banned actually like within two years in israel and even at, 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 like when they were coming out they were always really careful to like avoid using like jewish characters or names of, of um jewish people in the books like it, t- it tended to be like american soldiers and, and the like um which is basically like the story of uh, ilsa the she-wolf of the ss it's like an American that that he's not a soldier, he's a student, but he gets put in this camp for political prisoners and, and, um, dissidents. Um, there's no mention of Jewish people. There's no mention of like, of Judaism in the film itself. Um, and actually all the people in the camp have red stars, which would indicate that they were like political dissidents, like potentially like communists or like, um, vagrants or other subversives and stuff that were, um, you know, labeled or categorized under that, um, but uh, so the kind of like the pulp men's adventure stuff grew in like the early 60s into like the roughy um, subgenre of films. And that's kind of where David Friedman, who was one of the producers of this, um, got his start was in these roughy films. And um, like the women in prison subgenre is kind of like an offshoot or a, one example of the roughy film. Like they were usually these kind of like um, softcore BDSM uh, movies like in the era before pornography was legal in the U S but when the Hayes code laws were being relaxed, you had these like growth of movies um, like Olga and Olga's house of shame um, and Olga's girls, which was uh, like another direct precursor to Ilsa um, featuring this like dominatrix. uh, They would call them like the bitch goddess was kind of like the term or whatever that was used then. 
and like they were you know dominatrixes and they tended to be like lesbian um like women in prison stuff like it was usually like um that was kind of like the angle that it took um but um you know some of like the bigger stuff that grew out of that that was like mainstream was like russ meyer's movies um because a lot of his stuff was like had these sort of like S&M and BDSM tinges um, in terms of like the either whether it was fetish costumes for the actresses or just violence, sexualized violence in the in the film. And uh, yeah, we, we did mention earlier that we wanted to say that like this is a movie that like has a lot of sexual assault in it. That's basically like the crux of the horror in this film. It's like it's a sexploitation movie, but it's this combination of, of sexploitation and like the gore film which um, having mentioned uh, David Friedman, he was um, one of the uh, uh, producers or um, uh, uh, involved in the production of Blood Feast with Herschel Gordon-Lewis, which I know you guys have talked about before. So Ilsa is kind of like this combination of like by 74, Blood Feast had come out in 64. By 74, we were already entering into the golden age of porn. Uh, the Ruffy films were kind of like too soft now for people. Now that you could go see X-rated movies in theaters, you know, like um, I'm pretty sure like Deep Throat had come out a couple years earlier. That was like got mainstream release and stuff. And um, so, yeah, they, they just basically uh, capitalized on that trend that was already happening, but was like, well, what if we, uh, what if we ramped up the either BDSM or the horror aspect of it and then just added a bunch of gore to the women in prison film and I would argue that thus Ilsa was born. Yeah, that's a good summation. Yeah, I was hoping you would mention David Friedman, obviously. And then, of course, there's like Doris Wishman is in that whole universe of the the <clears throat> the roughies, softcore type of people. And that kind of burgeoned what was to become uh, with this this sort of film and i thought it was interesting that it did kind of land at the same time as like the popularity of another movie that you would think is crazy like deep throat it was popular at the time that there was like lines around the block to see deep throat <laughs> you know yeah it, and elsa was actually x-rated when it first came out um right and, and uh yeah and it also another uh sub-genre i should not fail to mention that also involves david friedman was the like burgeoning nazi exploitation um, kind of or not exploitation uh, 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 films that were coming out like a couple years before Ilsa was Love Camp number seven, which um, David Friedman had also been in, and which kind of sort of created the format for uh, the Nazi exploitation film, um, as well as the aforementioned movies and novels and the like. Um, but uh, Friedman actually acted in Love Camp number seven, and he acted in the yeah. Ilsa movies too. Um, so he was yeah. always pretty pretty involved i actually just was reading because i'm reading incredibly strange films right now that, that research book so this is all very fresh in my my memory as far as <laughs> this type of stuff right now so it's appropriate um brandon i wanted to hand it off to you a bit like what any kind of uh things that you wanted to bring up before we get into talking about the movie um yeah. i'm not sure if this was your first time seeing it <clears throat> yeah um couple things I'll, I'll mention first i just want to ask before i i forget my point there are <laughs> other ilsa films but let me just ask you because i haven't this is the first time i've seen this movie or you know obviously with that i haven't seen it, the uh sequels or the other films in the 
in the canon. Um, the other Ilsa films, are they like essentially chronicles stories, like placing this one character within these different, I don't know if you would timelines because yeah. And you know, she dies in at the end of every one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cause I was going, how, how does that work? Does it happen before this movie or what's the deal? Um, yeah, I don't know. They just, they kill her at the end of every one, but then she just, you know, comes back, which is sort of an interesting aspect of it for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I went into this, I kind of said a little bit off mic, I went in this, I didn't want to be front loaded by what I was going to see because I'd never seen this particular film, but I've seen a lot of exploitation type of stuff. And um, I just wanted to kind of make my comment about exploitation films in general. I mean, to where you draw the line with exploitation, if you look it up, it's a broad scope of movies. I mean, I think even like... Halloween, some people call Halloween an exploitation movie, which I don't, I don't understand. I don't see that myself, but um, for the type of exploitation that we're talking about, yeah, it is, it is extremely heavy content. I mean, uh, the movies that come to mind when I think exploitation are like Cannibal Holocaust, um, Salo, Salo, however you want to, however you wish to, um, necromantic that's more on the horror side but it's pretty shocking kind of shit um you know i think using the platform of being on that bordering into softcore porn or whatever it sort of allows the direct the director or the the um directorial view to more so dig into the horrific content more, you know, it almost, it almost lends itself to being the right platform to do a thing like, you know, you can't say one is the same as the other at all. Like Schindler's list is probably what a normal person would think of as a heavy movie about this type of content. And it is heavy. It's extremely sad. It's heavy. But when you go into the, you start, tiptoeing into the lines of like this exploitation shit, they show you these scenes that are more graphic that it's like, um, it makes me feel the same way. It's the same kind of feeling I have from just like going to a concentration camp. When we were in Europe, we went to a lot of them, you know, because it's, I don't know, a person like me, I feel like it's a horrible thing to do. I mean, to have to see, you'd never want to go, oh yeah, I went and did that. It's important as a human being to experience it. So when you watch a film like this, that um, more sh- it sh- it highlights the whole movie is based around the horrific aspect. Um, it it kind of it's like a it's like a cold slap of reality. It's like that disclaimer right at the beginning of the movie. Whether it be a disclaimer to just kind of give a pass so that we can see these things and not feel horrible about ourselves or something. Um, all of this shit in this movie to some degree really did happen. If you look at the history, you know, I mean, block 10 and Auschwitz, they were testing all kinds of fucking, you know, uh, substances, drugs, sterilizing people, um, uh, you know, Buchenwald, typhus, typhus was a huge, 
um, element of experimentation there. You know, all those things happen. And I think when you watch something like Schindler's List, it kind of goes over those things, but sort of passes passes by for the overarching story, whereas this digs into just the nasty all the time. I think it's important to see as as if you can accept it as I'm watching this as like a cross section of something that has happened before, but it's really important for people to understand that, you know, people like us who are film people, and people are less like us who are kind of freaks, don't watch this shit to get off on it. It's for me, I watch an exploitation film and I'm just kind of left feeling like, okay, I didn't really get any enjoyment necessarily, but I felt like it was important enough to watch it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. You, you, you bring up some really cool stuff there. Cause uh, um, yeah, it is sort of like uh, what, what makes, you know, like an exploitation movie, like we were kind of, like hinting at it or what you know scratching it before and and you mentioned solo and um i think it's interesting because solo it, it does kind of fall into the category of exploitation i mean it's it it, it was mar it's been considered obscene material in the u.s um people have been arrested for selling it and stuff there or there's like a famous case where somebody was um and you know the ilsa movies are banned in a lot of parts of the world i'm sure that they're banned in germany still um but uh yeah, it, it's what makes, um, you know, Solo came out after Ilsa did the same year, but, but later on. Um, but a lot of in a lot of ways, those two movies are very similar in terms of like being uh, the, the like what happens in the movies and the and the like lack of plot and the and construction of the film. They're both like very similar, um, except one was made to just be like to make a quick buck. Uh, and the other one was made to like make a statement about about fascism and stuff, um, which make which does a better job, I think, is up for debate. And I and actually that's always why I would argue that I think Ilsa does a better job because it, it of the fact that it's is sleazy um, makes you feel like it's not like Pasolini approaches a lot of it in almost like a documentary way. This movie, it, it feels like it, it wants you to it wants to be titillating, but that almost makes it like more disgusting and more like uh, <laughs> impactful in a way that I think is like, if you are watching it and as a horror fan or as somebody that's interested in exploitation history and stuff, like it's, that's a different impulse than like watching it to get off or to take it, to get some sort of charge out of the BDSM elements of it. But like you said, like everything that happens in this movie really did happen. Like there's nothing that happens in this movie that didn't actually happen in real life. It's it's not based on a on a real person necessarily. It's it the Ilsa name comes from Ilsa Koch. It's spelled differently than her name, the bitch of Buchenwald or this um, uh, wife of a head um, SS officer at the camp. But there wasn't ever a woman that was in charge of the uh, you know SS or anything. Um, there, there's like a, a a lot of sort of like parts of this movie that that remind me of the like old Rush Limbaugh um, uh, term, the feminazi, because um, <laughs> that's basically what she is. She's a feminazi. Like she thinks that women are superior in this, you know, in the classic misogynistic construction of Limbaugh. She believes that women are are more 
capable of suffering pain than men are. She thinks they're stronger than men are because they're more, you know, capable of enduring pain. Uh, um, and that actually was like a, an experiment or like a theory that the, that the Nazis had. So, but it also kind of wraps up in the era that it was coming out in all of these fears of like women's liberation and like the rise of feminism and stuff. And like the, the first thing that happens in this movie is a castration scene, like immediately after the first sex scene. So it, it really like, it, it tells you right from the start that like, that she's in charge, you know, like she's got you by the balls in this movie. And like, yeah, you know, if, quite if you don't give her what she wants, yeah. If you don't give her what she wants, you're dead. You know, like, uh, so. Yeah. It, we, I watched this with my wife and we were going, is there like an undertone of a feminist move, you know, undertone in this whole movie, but it's just, the content is so perverse and fucked up that it's kind of hard. It kind of gets lost. Yeah. It's bizarro. Yeah. That's what I say. It's like bizarro feminism or something in this way where it's like, uh, I mean, it's a very camp movie, like pun intended, you know, like it's played straight, but it was literally filmed on the set of Hogan's heroes. And it feels like a (laughs) lot of, of the, it feels like a lot of the, the mentality of Hogan's heroes comes through in the film. But it's almost like this nightmare version of it. I mean, how did yeah. Hogan's Heroes? How did there? How was there a sitcom about concentration camps that was on television less than thirty years after World War II? I know like, that's always <laughs> so amazing that that is a cultural artifact that we can look back on. I mean, the same as like you know when you think about like the producers, like Mel Brooks, about how it wasn't that long after the war when people were like turning this all on its head and poking fun at it. And I mean, that was kind of Mel Brooks's whole point. He was like, you know, what's the best way to like get one over on these fuckheads? Let's make fun of them. Let's like, you know, make them look like the clowns that they are or whatever. Totally. Producers is about Nazi exploitation. It's about the yeah. idea of, of, the, <laughs> using, of using, you know, like of using the aesthetics of fascism for, you know, this, for like the, and the appeal of the aesthetics or whatever. Like, I mean, it is a fetishism, like not um, Nazi fetish stuff is like, it's kind of, I think probably faded in, in terms of like its cultural place or whatever, but it used to be like a really big thing, you know, like after Ilsa came out, there was a, a really famous art film called the night Porter. That's basically like, it, you know, that's considered an art film, but I would argue that it's like pretty perverse construction um, in terms of like the conceits of the, the film and stuff. But uh, again, like these were like big movies. Like this movie was produced by Cinepix, which was a Canadian production company that went on to be Lionsgate Film. So from Lionsgate Film, then that was they did they did the Anchor Bay stuff eventually. But Anchor Bay was bought by Disney. So technically, um, Ilsa is a Disney movie or is owned by Disney at this point, uh, which is that's another amazing. thing. That's like. It's you know it. it's amazing, the- but it, but with with the history and and things uh, that have come out over the years about Disney, it's not super surprising. <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> well, it's just this, the time old tale of whatever makes a buck. It doesn't really matter. Like not, when it comes down to you know making profit, nobody has a moral compass, and that right. goes when you talk about the Nazis themselves and like talk about how you know it's funny that you were talking about the whole like re-chronicling of Ilsa's adventures. Well, that's precisely what happened to a lot of Nazis is like, they got kind of rehabilitated here in this country and in other places, you know, like, 
So, yeah, there's, like, tales of, like, some of them went to the the tribunals, and some of them went to prison. A lot of them, man, that's the whole point of Operation Paperclip. They got, like, re, you know, they got repatriated into these other countries and worked for, like, us. They worked for the CIA. Thank you for that, Von Braun. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Von Braun. Von Braun? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so I, I wanted to mention, too, before we get into this movie, just the overarching umbrella of the general trope that happens in a lot of exploitation films is the comeuppance. You know, the <laughs> I mean, I could see it in the three that I mentioned, Sallow, uh, Ilsa, and Cannibal Holocaust. The bad guy always gets what's coming to him. And, you know, I guess it, they kind of they kind of blur the lines of who the bad guy is because – like in a movie like Cannibal Holocaust, you have these savages, but then you have the interloper who comes into their, yeah, air quotes, right, savages. And then you have the interloper Westerners who come in into the story and just totally obliterate their way of life. So there's always that satisfaction. Uh, I don't I don't want to speak too soon. I mean, I haven't seen all exploitation films, but and everyone I've ever seen, there's always that satisfaction that this horrible person is going to get what's coming to him in the worst way. It always happens. But you said I would never have to go back to the camp like before. You said it would not be like before. Yeah. Why are they taking me there? Given the honor of sleeping with a German woman. An officer of the SS. You, a worker, a, a member of an inferior race. You dare to question me. Well, I will say nothing, Commandant. I swear it. Oh, that is true. Let me stay here, Commandant, with you. Please, I will give you much pleasure. Like an animal and eat. No, no, like a lover. It's fine. You dare yeah, I think the camp, going back to the camp thing, I think that that's like a, a, a an interesting part of, of the movie um, too because it just uh, I, I'm like I'm a queer person. I've always been interested in the idea of camp. Like I, I kind of hated it for a while and and you know thought it was like I don't I don't like you know I'm I have like I'm picky when it comes to to camp uh, and I think that it's like uh, an interesting like aesthetical part of this movie too that like it is kind of campy um, like it's all really played up but it's also played straight like it's not there's no like jokes in it there's nothing in in it that's like ever like outwardly funny um but there it just has this like it it, it feels like a tv show like it, it it feels like the night the nightmare version of hogan's heroes um Absolutely. but the camp part is like important too to i think like what made it like a popular and like a lasting like cult movie and like grindhouse movie and that kind of goes back to like the you know like different ways that you can like interpret what's going on in the movie or like what it's saying within the like, you know, wooden framework of an exploitation film. Um, because there's like a lot of queer people in, in, in uh, this movie, like there's like, it has, and that's kind of a stereotype of like the women in prison movie. But um, you know, that representation for a long time was like the only thing that queer people could get. And like, uh, so like having the, like, the, the like butch lesbian like guard or whatever like that's grown into like a kind of like a joke like I don't know if you guys have ever seen reform school girls it, it's like a very directly influenced by the Ilsa movies 
But um, it's got like Pat Ast, or is that, is that her name? That actress, she basically is playing the role of like the lesbian head warden or head guard. Um, and every Ilsa movie basically has, she has these two um, female henchmen that do like all of her bidding and that she like um, usually <laughs> ends up having like an affair with and stuff. But yeah. she also sleeps with men. Like she's basically like the representation of like, of this again this male fear of like the unknown unknowable depths of women's sexuality of the insatiableness you know quote unquote of like women's sexuality and like uh those fears at the time basically that were like coming around with the idea of like sexual liberation and women's liberation specifically um I, i feel like that like it's all there in the movie but it's done in like a, it's not intentional. It's it's like it's very much like this this sort of subconscious fears that yeah, em- emerged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, and yeah, I like that. I wanted to interject as far as reform school uh, girls go, or reform reform school girls go, is uh, Wendy Williams notably. Oh, yeah, in that. yeah, great, and Sybil Danning. My- yeah, Sybil Danning. That was actually my introduction to Wendy O. Williams. I saw that movie when I was pretty young, and I was like, I didn't know who the plasmatics were, and I was like, I was like terrified of of her, and like she's like one of my favorite people in the world now. But I was like, this woman is a maniac, which she was, and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I would say to like any viewer that don't, doesn't think that they could handle Ilsa, but is sort of interested in like the ideas or whatever that that i'm sort of trying to convey about it like this bizarro way of, of looking at it or interpreting it like i i would say that like um reform school girls is like the after school version of ilsa like it doesn't have the it has all of the, a lot of the same notes and, and hits but it's not like there's no nazi stuff in it there's not any like extreme sexual assault and stuff like that so it's a little bit more i think maybe um palatable for for like the casual viewer um, but it is interesting though, because I think that like this, um, idea of like multiple interpretations, it, um, it seems like this, like kind of like frou-frou, like intellectual, like, you know, uh, uh, nitpicking or whatever, or, or like justification. But when it came down to like exploitation movies, like being able to create a product that could be interpreted in, in different ways was actually like a really economical and like, um, you know, it was, was a, a money-making decision. Um, and a good example of that would be like um, the, the like race hate subgenre, um, which was like films like fight for your life. Um, and uh, which was like about a home invasion of a African-American family by like this interracial group of like, you know, uh, criminals that are on the run and they take this family hostage. And it was made intentionally to be able to be shown in drive-in theaters in, in the rural South, and in the grindhouse theaters of the urban north. And basically so that um, whether it was a black audience or a white audience, like you could you could find something in in it to root for, or you could view it in these two different ways that would allow you to like, to to satisfy multiple audiences. I I was gonna, um, I, yeah, I I don't, I don't mean to interject. I just, um, I, to, to touch on that, I find that, really interesting in these types of movies, specifically this not exploitation shit where it's like, okay, well, we're just, we're, when we watched it last night, it's like, you're just throwing these shit sandwiches at the wall, being that they're all filthy. All of these things that you're 
that are in this movie are filthy in one way or the other. There's a pornographic element. There's obviously the Nazi element, which is just appalling. Um, there's all the gore. If you were to take any of them on their own, they would all be restricted X-rated material. But you stick it all together, there's something that somebody can, can that they can capitalize off of for someone, for, for, for almost anyone. It's like you're saying, it's more utilitarian to make a movie that way if you're looking at it from a capitalistic point of view. Yeah, and it's kind of evil. I mean, I, I think, like, it's still an exploitation movie. Like, anything that I say about this movie, like, I think that ultimately, like, it's a, it's like a really gross, dirty movie. Like the reason that we chose the name for the band was because um, the um, the Ilsa movie that was the um, Wicked Warden uh, was like the only movie that our bandmate Brandon had ever seen that made him like feel physically ill to watch. Like, and and so we were like, yeah, that's perfect. You know, like it's not we didn't name it because it's something. You know, it's in the tradition of naming your your punk band after like you know evil shit or shit that you don't hey, like or whatever that you're critical I was of. In a- I was in a band called Salo, so you know. Yeah, there I, you go. I, know, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so yeah, I was going to say it. It's funny that we've all had bands that have had some reference to exploitation cinema. You've got Ilsa with you. You got Salo with you. John and I's band, Hemophiliac. That was all. That's an homage to Herschel Gordon Lewis. <laughs> So it's a song. Yeah, it's cycle, a punk tradition. It's like the Misfits, man. That's, a, that's the other yeah. thing. It's like it's a, it's the totally. classic thing. You're going to name your band after a cool movie. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, and I wanted to talk about because you'd mentioned this, and I really want to dive into this. Is the fact that this movie got changed to an R rating is crazy to me. Like, what me was too. the what was the switch? How did that happen? That it went from an X to an R. Yeah. Well, I don't think anything really happened. I think it was just like at that era, um, if you didn't go through the MPAA, you could still release a movie. And it was at this point where theaters were actually just starting to show unrated stuff like X movies and other unrated things. Because like I, I mentioned earlier, the Hayes Code had sort of been fading out. I mean, this was the era where you had like Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out at I think the fall or the towards the end of 74 um, Ilsa came out in like January, I think of 75. Um, so it was like, it, this was like really right when like you had this like, um, real like freedom when it came to filmmaking that when it came to just making like sexualized content or violent content, like basically anything like the, the, the rules were lifted. And so filmmakers were, were able to like go and, and explore making different types of films that had been verboten before. Um, and, uh, you know, with um, the, the uh, Jess Franco directed um, the Ilsa movie, Greta, um, he was a Spanish director that basically like, you know, he did hundreds and hundreds of movies and um, he was most prolific basically at the fall of the Franco's um, dictatorship in Spain. And when the Franco dictatorship was like ended, like all of the restrictions on movie making were lifted. And so you just had this like enormous output of like independent filmmakers that were like just you know like you said throwing shit sandwiches at a wall and seeing what stuck (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah for sure you know uh, another thing i wanted to bring up with this movie that it really reminds me of uh is it has so many parallels to me to men behind the sun in terms of how 
how it's represented up front as being like this is a historical documentation of things that actually happened and a warning and you know we keep talking about how exploitation essentially is like it it was crafted to sell tickets ultimately and so there is that cynicism behind it and i always felt like with men behind the sun as as much as i enjoy that movie the cynicism like peeks through a lot more than maybe like you know some other movies that are of this nature and i feel like that's definitely here with this movie but i think the campiness of it like you were saying kind of helps to i guess make it a little bit more digestible in those in that <laughs> give, give, I, I, it gives you a bit of a morality sponge bath <laughs> yeah yeah i guess but it's, it's funny to me how much it reminds me of that too as well you know yeah i mean well in order to be like that's why I, you know going back to ilsa versus like solo I, I think that like one of the ways that solo fails as a movie and that i know was kind of intentional on pasolini's part is that like it's, it's just like gets kind of boring after a while. And I almost feel like that that's like kind of worse if you're trying to show like, if, if, you know, like to be showing a scene of torture or like of, of this like historical crime and for it to be like dragging or to feel boring or to feel like it's supposed to be like, you know, you're, you're not getting something that you're supposed to. Like, I feel like that kind of takes away from its impact. Whereas like with this, like it's very like boil boilerplate and boil down. It, it moves at like a very like steady pace. Like I mean, it's it's got like a score. Like there's a lot of stuff about the, that I still like um, don't know about. Like I don't know who did the score for this. Like um, the, a lot of the actors in it, and even like the producers and like the directors like use pseudonyms and stuff. Like Diane Thorne was like one of the few actresses that actually used like her real name in the movie. Um, yeah. and you know, for her, she basically, her thing was, was that like, I got offered a leading role in a movie as a woman, like, I'm going to take it. Like, I'm going to do the best job. I'm going to be like the biggest villain that I can be for this movie. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, like she's just, her performance in it is like, you know, it is great. Like she's really like cap- captivating. Like when I first watched this, like, I remember being like unsure if, if, um, like if she was trans like um um, because she's so masculine in it and stuff and 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 actually there was like another ripoff like ilsa type movie called sadomania that came out that i think just franco directed um and that actually did have um a trans uh um film star as the a, a trans adult film star as like the horror lead in like an ilsa type movie i think her name was ajita wilson and stuff um, and in the mm. Jess Franco Ilsa movie, there actually is a trans character in it that's like very sympathetically portrayed and like is I think is actually p- played by a trans person. So it's not like, you know, like it's it has like these, you know, elements in it that are like unexpectedly more, you know, uh, deeper than you would think from just like, you know, a, a Nazi exploitation movie. Because a lot of them suck. Like there's a, the, a lot of the European ones that came afterwards. um like Bruno Matai did a bunch, like there's like Salon Kitty and all these other ones and stuff. And they're just like, it's not really like, not that this is like an easy movie to watch, but again, it's just like, they get boring and and it it doesn't, it doesn't really have the impact that this one seems to have like managed to maintain. Yeah. I, I, you know, when you were talking about Ilsa versus Salo, I I was kind of thinking the same thing as when you'd said, which, which might, uh, be more effective 
And I think another thing, maybe, maybe it's kind of an on the surface thing, but it's easy to forget um, what's happening in the movie because they don't have the that um, just loud costume kind of design like this movie where they have the SS gear and all this shit. They just look like rich f- fucking pedophiles, which they are. But you forget that there's this undertone of this Nazi fascist, you know, um, takeover going on. And um, to some degree, for lack of a better term, yeah, it kind of drags. It gets boring and you lose you lose the focus of what's happening until there's just another shocking thing to wow you. You know, whereas this movie, you're kind of immersed in it from the beginning with as obscene and absurd as it is at times. You never forget that they're in a camp. This is, you know, Nazi experiments going on, etc. I uh, so I wanted to make one commentary because we were talking about Diane Thorne as far as like good performances and how stellar they, they represented these characters. And I wanted to also talk about how like, Ilsa is kind of like almost a complex character. It's funny because like, yes, she's clearly diabolical, but she's also like capable of feeling love and compassion. And it's like, and, and fear. So it's not like she's just like straight, like I'm an evil bitch. And you know, like they do toy with that idea that she is like a complex individual that also is kind of an idiot because she gets duped so easily because she falls in love with the, the <laughs> big, the big dick hunk, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like, God, like, he gets one over on her so easy. <laughs> yeah. It's cause, uh, yeah, the- what do they say in SLC punk? He's the God of fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he had BDE like a motherfucker. Um, so I, I really like that about it, but I also, this is like a, a minor good for me is I like the fact that this is one of the few movies where Buck Flowers is represented as not a wino. Because <laughs> the guy just got typecast so much as a fucking, you know, just shitty hobo. It's like this yeah. movie and they live like he's like has like actually like more of a like character development. But it's like everything else. He's just like the dude like passed out like drunk on the fucking park bench or whatever <laughs> yeah he played like he, he he was in like a bunch of john carpenter stuff too like everybody in yeah. this movie like or not everybody but a lot of people in this movie had like pretty good careers outside of it i mean diane thorne never really got to do much more than than the ilsa movies but um beforehand she had been on star trek like there's a couple mm. other of the um the actresses in, in uh, the movie that had been extras on star trek before um, I mean, Diane Thorne was in a movie with like Robert De Niro when he was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Like they, uh, they like really were. It's not like again, like it just seems like it's this like this random like uh, underground movie or whatever. But it really was like a big production, a big feature. They were gonna do another one with her and Bruce Lee in the Bermuda Triangle. That was supposed to be the fifth Elsa movie, but Bruce Lee actually died, be- you know, beforehand. Actually, he died like the year before they even announced the movie, so it might have always just been like another exploitation uh, ploy. But I mean, it was yeah. announced and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, yeah I didn't uh, know the whole story with that Bruce Lee one that you were talking about because I didn't know that it didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it never actually came out, um, but it was it, it was planned anyways. But yeah, and it's got this. Also has um, Richard Kennedy in it, um, who was uh, he was in like Six Pack Annie. 
Uh, he's kind of like a character actor that usually played like a drunk Texan. But in this mm. one, he plays the, um, the Nazi general that, that asks Ilsa to, uh, to piss on him. Oh, my uh, God. And, yeah. That and, guy. Uh, fucking Jesus Christ. Has he ever heard of a toothbrush? Holy shit. Oh, yeah. That was that was a question I was going to bring up. It's like, what is up with that dude's teeth, it's man? Hard to, it's hard to watch because of that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, as far as elements that I thought were, were highlights were good, um, the costumes and the effects. And it – it's kind of a question, but not for the questionable, just question in cinema in general. If, you know, when MPAA and and rating systems come in, a lot of movies might have the same impact that this does, but they get limited from the ratings. For example, I, I, I had heard a thing one time that Taxi Driver was going to be an NC-17 or X. I can't remember what mm-hmm. came first when it came out because the blood was too real. You know, yeah. it was they had, to, they had to lighten it up and make it look more fake to get an R rating. So, to the point of this movie, I mean, all of the torture scenes they definitely pack a punch because of how just awful they look. And I mean, like the um, when they show the women and the and the woman woman, she they goes, "What what happened to you?" And she has syphilis, and her whole face is just decrepit. All of that was really um, impactful. The a thing that resonates with me is um, I can't remember where it falls in the sequence, but there's like a stockade between buildings, and there's two bodies just hanging upside down, and it oh, just yeah. is a wide That's shot the, on them yeah. for you know a little longer than you would think that it needs to be, and then it even comes back to it. That's just enough to just set the scene for what's happening. You know, just how fucking bad it is. Um, I thought that was, was good. It was, it was pretty, uh, it was burned in my mind, you know? I agree. I feel like that particular scene also was really like, really had like a punch to it. (laughs) It was really creepy and eerie, uh, to see that part. Um, so, and unless you got anything else to talk about, like what, what would you criticize about this movie? What, what do you think doesn't work? What do you think is bad necessarily? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that's bad about it. Like it's, it's, it's really like the dialogue is terrible. The acting is pretty stiff. Uh, the uh, plot doesn't really, you know, have much structure or make much sense. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's like, it, it is a bad movie. Uh, and it, it's like, you know, I know I, on the last podcast, I know you guys are saying like, is this a podcast about bad movies or bad movies like that have been considered bad critically or, yeah. you know, like how do you, what's that, you know, like rationale? I mean, I think my mind is just so rotten from like having watched like so much garbage over the years uh, <laughs> that like it's hard for me to say like what is bad about it. I mean, it, it gets a little bit long and stuff still. Like I think it does like it's not immune from that like. Um, it, it, because it's like if, if uh, it, it still is like was made as a like somewhat of like a softcore pornographic movie. So unless you're like getting like a charge off of it, like I don't know, it's like some of the torture scenes go on pretty long and stuff. Like, um, but it, I have a hard time like uh, 
you know, being critical of it aside from just like the fact that it is like, it's a trash movie. It's exploitation movie. Like it wasn't created to be an anti-fascist like statement or anything. It's like incidental that it is. And like, I guess I wish that it hadn't been made like maybe or something like it. it, It's a, it's definitely like a, a, a bizarre piece of ephemera. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, if we could change history, it would have been nice to not have the subject matter to deal with to <laughs> reprise into trash. Uh, but yes, yeah, I, you know, obviously, I agree with all those, too. It's funny, too. I wanted to make a point about, like, the, the, the aspect of it trying to be titillating or whatever. Like, I liken this also to how I felt about uh, Danzig's movie Veronica, where it's like... There's a lot of tits in it and like, but there's at no point where I'm like, man, this is sexy. It's like, it's really just bad. And you can show all the nice tits in the world and I still don't feel turned on. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing with this movie because of the nature of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, all those are like obvious like points I would make too. What, what about you, Brandon? Uh, well, one thing right, right from the beginning, this always drives me nuts in movies where a film is supposed to be in a foreign land and they speak English. I get oh, the well, point. Yeah. I mean, to, to again, all of my bads just go to the bad of the genre itself, exploitation. I mean, it's like, fuck, you're doing anything that's going to make money. It's the shock rock of cinema, and I don't like shock rock. So, you know, but I, I mean, I too watch these films. Um, yeah. So... It's just that kind of it's little shit like that. I mean, you, their you accents see all are pretty it. bad. Yeah, oh, all that accents are terrible. Just um, you know, obviously, a movie in subtitles would not sell in in America, especially at that time. No way. So if I gotta fucking read the most basic dialogue, and no way, they're gonna sell it on the tits, which they sold it on anyway. But um, <laughs> that that drove me nuts. Um, yeah, just it just kind of comes down to it's a love hate of exploitation films, and I mean this film is is right in that because of the content it dealing with Nazi propaganda and shit. I just it makes you go, sh- should I feel okay watching this? It like makes you question yourself as a person, you know. But just rationalize it with. Uh, it's like we talked about before, Adam. I will watch anything committed to film because somebody thought it should be made. I mean, just the absurdity alone will will sit me down for it. And um, this was definitely definitely that type of movie. I mean, you're watching it, and there's just these women hanging out of these uniforms, and you go, "Yeah, in any other light, this would be appealing to a person like me." But it always makes you it always makes you question the type of optics the people watching it are having. I don't necessarily have a problem with the movie, but I think about people who would watch this and get some type of rise out of it. And that is, that is ugly. That's horrifying to think, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And I mean, that's what I think is powerful about it too. Like it's exactly like, it's, right. It's the, it's the double edged sword of it. Like you mentioned earlier, um, Schindler's list and stuff. And, um, you know, uh, um, Michael Haneke is like uh, one of my favorite directors and he's like always been really critical of like Schindler's List and Downfall and a lot of like movies about um, Nazism and fascism in World War II. Um, he actually says that Solo is like one of his favorite movies 
And I, I think it's like, I kind of get it, you know, like it's it, that like, basically it's like you said before, like if you're going to make a movie about this, like th- then like, it doesn't have to be like a, a, about a specific person and something that happened to them. But like, you should show the, like the crimes that, that the Nazis committed, you know, like you should like show that, that side of it. And, yeah. uh, you know, like by the same thing, like when you're, when we're talking about costumes and everything, like, um, that, that like the, the, there's like a book called like the sexual politics of fascism and that like goes into like a lot of the, like, I think that's what it's called goes into a lot of like the um, you know, the aesthetics of fascism and how they were created. I mean, you had like Hugo boss, like designing like the SS uniforms, like you had like Chanel, like dressing all of the like officers wives and stuff. Like they always knew like basically that um, like it, that it was like a fetishistic aesthetic, you know, like yeah. that was like built into the, the Nazism and like the idea of like fascism and stuff. And like, that's a thing that like, I feel like, you know, it, it does work in this movie in terms of like, um, kind of like showing that, like, you know, like the, it is like, I mean, and it's all leftovers from Hogan's heroes, which is like the weirdest thing of all, but like all <laughs> of the flags and uniforms and everything are like, that's just all the stuff that was left on the set of Hogan's heroes because they allowed them to film the movie there with the understanding that they would destroy the sets when they were done, which is what, how the movie ends. Um, so it's kind of a tangent, but like, you know, that, that, that they filmed that uh, at that set, which was on the 40 acres studio um, in LA, which is where they did like King Kong and like gone with the wind and stuff. So like, not only was it filmed on the set of Hogan's heroes, like it was filmed where they did like all of these classic Hollywood movies. Yeah. And it's funny. Uh, like that is one thing that obviously is discussed amongst people in subgenres or like underground counterculture too. When you talk about Nazi fetishes, fetishism is how that's the thing with those uniforms. They look sharp. They looked quote unquote cool. Like, and so it, it was able to uh, make its, uh, you know, uh, be adapted into fetishism and like, Obviously, like that sort of thing was utilized in like goth culture and like industrial culture and and stuff like that. Well, and gay so, cu- gay culture too. Well, going back to the right. queerness aspect of it, um, like Tom, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tom of Finland. Um, oh, but yeah. Some of his some of his first illustrations. He was a, um, a, a illustrator that did gay porn, um, but did these really great graphite drawings of, of you know these um, sort of exaggerated men. Um, that would met his were his ideal fantasy man or whatever, and um, most of his like early drawings are of like Nazi uh, officers and stuff because when he was growing up in occupied Finland, like those were his sexual partners. Um, so yeah. like the that's like a you know another like facet of the film too uh, in terms of its realness that I think is like is like you know noteworthy. Um, well, yeah, but, and you can yeah. get into the whole the whole history of like you know, the night of the long knives. And that's, you know, that story about that, you know, that, um, what is it like cell of Nazis that were, they were gay. There was like the left, the left leaning gay, like cell of the Nazis that, you know, eventually got wiped out, mm-hmm. um, as the, as the war and everything was ramping up. So there is that connection as well. Yeah. It's just like all these weird connections that again, tether its way into making a movie like this. Also sidebar, as far as the Hogan zero stuff, the, you know, the depravity of Bob crane, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so it's just all these like, yeah, things that like you kind of like connect together with this kind of movie. But, yeah. uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, funny what, what you had said earlier about maybe you wish this movie wasn't ever made, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it that, that just plays right into, I mean, that's in every uh, one of our trifecta of things we talk about on the show, that good, bad, and questionable. I mean, it's good in exploitation films just as a genre that they show these things, the history books, that other films, they just, they don't have the wherewithal to show something that's a little more accurate to what happened. It's like, yeah, if you're going to do it, show it and make it visceral and make it horrible. Cause there was no, it was nothing less in reality. you what we see in this movie is like a pff, fucking grain of sand on a beach of atrocities, you know, but it's more than, than you would see in something like Schindler's list. Um, by by leaps and bounds but at the same time you go a person of my sensibilities i just feel like um somewhat fearful of the people who will watch this and how they will interpret it because you know like you're saying yeah it's cool it's very cool it looks sharp to be edgy to be everything that just just a Nazi uniform is. I mean, that's been appropriated by all types of genres of music and film and art, etc. So it's really it really comes down to what was what will a piece of art like this do in the hands of certain people? And that falls into my bad. But then the entire Ah, it's just it's can become existential very quickly. The entire genre, not just this movie, goes into my questionable because <laughs> you go, somebody thought this needed to be made, and I do watch this, and there's a duality in all of it. You know, I feel like I shouldn't watch this at sometimes, depending on the content, but I feel like it's important as a human to watch something like this because it's something, mm-hmm. it's a type of media that other cinema is either too afraid to touch or it's like the id limited. it's like the id of the id of film you know like the it's just like the it, it, within like the zeitgeist of filmmaking and stuff like this is just like the basement but the, the, the like the you know all of the basis impulses and drives and fears and everything like um that that's where this movie resides right oh yeah um I'm going to kick it off on the question questionable because my main question is, and this obviously goes hand in hand with the fact that this movie is trying to make a, you know, a point about the quackery and crack pottedness of the Nazi experiments. But my big question is how does Ilsa think that just by taking one particular woman that has an extremely high threshold of pain, that that proves across the board that all women are more suitable for being in the front lines. That's exactly what we said. You could only imagine that if this camp was reality, it would be thousands and thousands of people there. Obviously they don't have the, they don't have the extras in the budget to show that, but let's just suspend our disbelief. One out of hundreds, you know, or thousands of people that they torture can do this. <laughs> I mean, multiply it up and do the math. I don't really know if that proves your theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, yeah, or like Wolf. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to follow that up with 
my what my question that kind of dovetails that is why does Ilsa do all of these tortures when the general who she's trying to make this essentially diorama of her theory, he's not even there. He shows up and she's <laughs> almost dead. It was a miracle they could even bring her back. You know, yeah. it's she does all this shit to this person. And then, oh, now he's coming. Just wait till he gets here and demonstrate right. all of it to him in the one demonstration, you know? Yeah. Instead, yeah, instead of just instead of just telling him, yeah, she didn't cry out once. Well, how does he know that's true? She's obviously has some interest in selling this point. So she's going to lie her ass off to, to make it so if she has to. Yeah, well, and I guess it doesn't none of it really even matters to them because like it's, it's so obvious that he's just a sadist because like when they have the dinner scene with the woman that's hanging on the as the centerpiece on the table standing on the block of ice and stuff. It's just like he's obviously just impressed by just the sadism of the like of the choice and of like a table setting and stuff, because basically as the ice melts while they eat dinner, the woman that's there is just going to slowly strangle. So it's like the entertainment of her death is just like uh, is, you know, is the point. Like, it's not even really, a you know, what uh, uh, but I think, yeah, that's obviously just the, like, this probably more like the sleaze part of it than when it's supposed to be necessarily the logic of the, of the movie. But what yeah. bothers me is that when they show, you know, you know, there's this guy Mario that's uh, that wolf the American student meets, who uh, I guess is another of the men that's in the camp. And um, Mario tells uh, Wolf about Ilsa and how anybody that sleeps with her gets castrated and... Um, uh, Wolf asks Mario, like, well, what about you? Like, did you right. get castrated? And, and she says like, something like, or he says something like, well, it would have, it would have disproved like the doctor's theories or whatever. The doctor's like racial theories or something like that. And, uh, but then at the end of the movie, um, when they're all running out to try and escape from the camp, uh, Wolf is leaving with one of the women and trying to get Mario to come with him. And Mario says something like, there's no place for half a man in this world. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, and then he sacrifices himself. So it's like, Oh, so I guess he did get castrated. He just like lied yeah. about it. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. That, that was, we had to rewind that when he was having this whole monologue to Wolf because we didn't quite <laughs> understand. How are you still alive? If you've been with Ilsa, <laughs> the black widow or whatever. Uh, yeah. It didn't really add up to us either. Well, okay. So another I was going to say another question I had was obviously the one officer comes there to clean up what happened. Yeah. And he says, Oh, you know, the allies, they won't discover anything because we took care of it. But I mean, I guess they set it on fire, which you kind of see the blaze at the end. But yeah, like that was my, I was like, well, what do you, you just piled a bunch of bodies up? That's as obvious. Right. There's plenty yeah, of what an ending! What a fucking ending, too. Because I, I kind of had forgotten that it, that it just the Nazis just show up and kill everyone. Like I, I for some reason I remembered it as like that the Allies come and liberate the camp at the end. But it's yeah. no, just the Nazis just show up and just kill everyone, which is like you know kind of like the more appropriate ending really for a movie of that tone. Uh, but yeah, which is um, what they actually did. <laughs> they came in and they they obliterated everything yep. essentially mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it could just be it just it could just be because it was my first watch but 
what happened to Ilsa? I mean, we see what happens. She gets blown away. But <laughs> the dude shoots her with a Luger and her head explodes. I think. It like pops. It like, yeah. Her head like pops like a balloon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, that was bordering on comical. You know, I mean, maybe it was supposed to because she's a fucking horrific person in in the film and you're supposed to get this just desserts of, you know, this this big um, kind of victory as the viewer by seeing her death, I guess. But, yeah, that was kind of jarring. (laughs) Is there any other things or details or interesting like associations or trivia you would like to bring up about this movie? Yeah, I mean, well, we actually um, the band was tra- was in contact with Ilsa with our Di- with Diane Thorne um, and her um, husband Howard Maurer, uh, who was in the, the pretty much all of the Ilsa movies as well. Um, and uh, uh, I she she just passed away um, last year um, at eighty three, and uh, we've been trying talking with her on and off for years about maybe trying to get her to do a cameo and a video and stuff like that. And, and, you know, even in her 80s, like she was down, like it, it ended up just being like, you know, didn't work out before she was in retirement to the point where or was getting ill, I guess, to the point where she wasn't going to be um, able to d- take work anymore. But, um, uh, you know, we were in touch with Howard and he was like really nice, um, r- really friendly guy. Um, they both were like interfaith, like um, marriage, uh, had like an interfaith marriage business in like Las Vegas where they would like wed couples and stuff like that. Um, and like, I guess um, Diane Thorne supposedly had like a, a degree in like comparative religions and stuff. So um, she was like a really interesting lady. Uh, I think that she kind of is like, you know, um, sort of a footnote in, in uh, Hollywood and exploitation stuff, but um, I, I think that like she really it's too bad that she wasn't able to make more movies because um, she really is like a singular uh, like force. Uh, and, she, you know, she she ate like those movies like she really chews the scenery and all of them. Like you could tell that she really put like effort into them. Like it wasn't just a paycheck for her. Like she didn't like them. She didn't like what she, the, what they were about or how like disgusting they were. But, you know, she she wanted to work and she wanted to be in the game. And, you know, I, I always thought that that was like admirable um, that she like, you know, owned it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say she probably clearly got completely typecast by this. And it's like the double edged sword of she wanted to work, but then it's probably going to was going to be hard for her to find any other work outside of those sort of roles. Same thing with like, you know, adult adult actors and actresses where you know very few of them were able to have quote-unquote legitimate acting roles outside of pornography because of the you know the the nature of their work i would feel that probably kind of lingered over her as well it's like well she's kind of a hot potato (laughs) but yeah 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 Yeah, that, that kind of is 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 sort of like a i don't know universe within a universe, like a a meta type of thing (laughs) that this movie has this kind of feminist undertone that we talked about that was sort of clouded by the content. But then when you look at the actual actress and you see that she, she lives Ilsa's, you know, heart of heart and that women can do this too. Women should be in the cinema world. This is all I can get while I'm going to take it. I'm going to, I'm going to, 
do it 110% or whatever. Unfortunately, this is all I get because I'm a, fu- I'm yeah. a fucking woman and I'm stepped on by, you know, the patriarchy or whatever. Um, yeah, and it's like a misogynist. Weird. Yeah, totally. Like, it's like a misogynistic movie, but she's got like, you know, like she still shines through in it or whatever, like somehow. But, yeah. yeah. Well, um, unless you guys got anything else to add, I think that's a pretty good compact episode where we talked about a lot of things and, you know, uh, a kind of relatively short amount of time. Yeah. Um, I do want to, I'm going to mention something here, Adam, that maybe you use it or maybe not, but I meant to mention it in my bad because. Okay. And I just want to hear what you guys got to say about it, but. Something that I, f- I found irritating. Um, do you guys remember when the camp was getting taken over? Um, with, when the escape was happening and the Nazis were, um, the guards were fighting back and, and all that before the uh, Nazi patrol came in and destroyed the whole camp. Thing that I thought was bad, it went into my bad category, was the slow-mo scene of the guards coming out and first of all one of the guards gets shot there's no squibs at all so that was kind of weird he just kind of falls over but it was just (laughs) really long scenes of these guards piling out and just um everything about the scene was bad i mean the way the dude's shooting his handgun it's all up in his chest and he's firing it's like (laughs) shit that would be in a b-roll typically like b-roll film not not a film but extra footage and they just felt like they needed to throw it in they could have taken all of that out and i would have been much happier do do you agree is that slow-mo scene and it happens two or three times it comes back to them piling out in slow motion yeah they must have just felt like they had to do their big ending their big climactic ending when you're gonna blow up the towers and have everybody pile out and it's like Maybe they just have to, you know, fill in that last 10 minutes or five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they filmed this in like four, nine, I think they said nine days it took to film this. So it was like a really quick production. Right. You did, uh, you bringing that up actually did make me think of another questionable. And we kind of talked about this, like Ilsa just getting, you know, duped so easily. It's like, it didn't really take much to ambush that camp. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like these people were, you know, we, we, we started the whole, you know, who's the biggest idiot like in this movie. Well, yeah, Ilsa, but like also just every, all these fucking Nazis, like they just got taken so easy. It's like, there's no, she had, she has her hench women there. You would think like considering how kinky and depraved she is, she just have her hench women there while she's fucking wolf problem solved there with him getting one over on you. Right, but like yeah, be as, yeah, you know, there's no, you know, there, there's really like no effort in maintaining any security to the camp. Right, <laughs> come on, come on, Elsa, have practice some safe sex. Have your guards watching the camp while you're boning. You know, that's safe. Right. Well, and it's like obviously all the the prisoners had pretty easy access to knives and other implements of and weapons that they could have, you know, used obviously to, to kill people. So it right. was funny to me. Yeah, how- Wolf's character seems like really weird to, to me in general. Uh, just like 
too. Like now that we're going back to talk about weird stuff, like his character is like, I guess it's somewhat of like the driving factor in the movie, but he's not like the star by any, by any means, you know, like no. he, he's pretty, he's pretty like almost like a minor character that like, I guess like drives the, the, the drives the, the like narrative, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, like her falling in love with him so quickly and stuff is like definitely a, an unbelievable, but I guess it's like going back to like, if you look at it as like a men's adventure story or something, it's like, it's kind of like this, like, you know, childish narrative in a lot of ways of like, you know, oh, I'm a prisoner, but then I make the guard fall in love with me. And then I use that to be able to escape or something like it's right. It's all and like super old. The way that it's rolled out is actually that is something that's somewhat comical and silly. So to use, you know, modern colloquialisms, he's just really good at edging. And that's how he stays alive and fucking takes over the whole camp because he can just <laughs> fuck for yeah. hours or whatever. Right. Like that's eh, it's a little silly. I mean, you yeah. know, for a movie that's so heavy in certain ways, and then to have this just really, really goofy ass fucking element that turns the tides. I just no, I can just fucking that, fuck and not come. That's it's yeah. Great. He saved the camp because he's good at edging. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> he is an edge lord. Yeah, he is an edge lord. He's a, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, cool. Um, so you know we do the same when we rate movies. Obviously, at the end, and we have like the midnight clock thing. Um, so let's come up with some iconography for this out of five. What would you give this movie? What, what do you else? Uh, or, uh, uh, Ryan, this is your movie. So out of five, what, what would you pick? Five castrated dicks. Okay. What do you give it? That, uh, shit. Well, I guess out, <laughs> out of this the is a hard movie to rate. So yeah. It's like one of the things where it's like, well, here, it's so, this actually isn't my favorite of the Ilsa movies. My my favorite is the um, the Greta uh, the ripoff, the Jess Franco ripoff. I think it's like it it has more going for it narratively. It's got better performances in it. Um, it it's like a really weird, you know, like another just weird thing that has like a lot of shit in it. Uh, but so in that because it's not my favorite of them, I'd probably say like a three three castrated dicks. <laughs> All right, uh, Brandon. What what kind of iconography would you give this? He's sticking with the castrated dicks, or you got something else? Uh, well, you know, I was gonna say f- five full filled out bustiers. You know, five uh, yeah. real full uh, can holsters. But I think you've <laughs> I think you've convinced me. I think that castrated dicks. I think we got to go with it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it. Like you said, it, this is a this is a real hard, uh, hard, hard nut to crack because in the world of exploitation, it probably, in my mind, would have a higher rating than just how I perceived and enjoyed the movie. It's you know, I'm gonna go off of that my perception of it. Um, um, I, you know, I watched this movie and I just kind of. I didn't really feel one way or the way or the other about it, probably because I'm just so twisted from all the shit I've seen over the years. But um, I mean, just the content in general, I just kind of go, I feel a little more gross than I would want to. 
I think I, but, but it was effective. Um, and it's my first watch. If I was watched a second time, I might change my mind, but I'm going to say two and a half castrated dicks. So, yeah, so you got a halfy. Yeah, I, I got like, like a little nubbin. <laughs> exactly. A little right. nubbin. You got a full castrated dick and just like the 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 top of the Peter just yeah. there, just hanging out. Uh okay, I'm gonna like I've done this before. I'm gonna split the diff. I'm gonna give it three. Three full just <laughs> bloody castrated peckers. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So um yeah, right around in the same kind of like uh uh I guess precision area. As far as being on the midnight clock, well, good lord, this is like yeah, three four in the morning where like you were just uh, your eyes, you have ba- bags and black rings around your eyes. The, the, and- the, this shit is something you'd find in the bottom of Dad's porn trunk. You know, the very bottom. Oh, yeah. Maybe there's even like a false bottom that it's under. Oh yeah. This, this is a is, false bottom movie this, for sure. This is clearly, and some, it's more disturbing than anything else that's in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is something that Dad would put on long after the bar let out, and he didn't get any action with you know some side piece at the bar, and um, <laughs> he just feels bad about himself and has continued into a fucking drunken stupor. This is like a three or three thirty in the morning watch. Yeah, for me, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, gentlemen, this has been spectacular. Um, Orion really uh, enjoyed having you on. And I feel like you really, uh, you did a fantastic job of edifying this movie and, and giving the context that I was hoping that you would, as far as, you know, why it's important. So. Well, thanks. I I was a little bit nervous about talking about it because I feel like that it's, you know, it's gotta be approached the right way and i don't i'm not necessarily sure that that, that everything you know that, that i did I, I guess that's for, for everyone listening to decide um but i do want to say like you know uh, uh we're like a queer interracial band uh, and anti-fascists and you know make no doubt about it like we fucking hate nazis like uh part <laughs> of what i think something that was like a side thing that was interesting about that when you know talking about the name and stuff when we decided um, was uh, just that, that, like, playing in the extreme metal world and stuff, there's, like, a lot of fucking, like, Nazi dickheads and, like, people like that that are, like, you know, crawling around. And I think it's important, I, you know, I think it's important to say that, like, fuck those guys, like, fuck fascism, you know, like, that. that's not, like, like again, like, it's not, this, I, don't, I don't put this movie on as, like, as like a joke or something that I think is like funny or whatever. Although it, it has like those things about it that are, you know, arguably amusing. Um, but yeah, or, you know, fuck, fuck Nazis. Well, I would say that by you naming the band, that name, you're keeping in line with the tradition of <laughs> these sort of movies. And, <laughs> you know, it's well, like, you're trying to get a visceral reaction through naming. Also, Ilsa's, Ilsa is the name of uh, of Ingrid Bergman's character in Casablanca, where she's an anti-fascist um, fighter. And uh, Video American, the store that I worked at, was named after after Casablanca. And, and you know, Casablanca is a movie about anti-fascists. Uh, yeah. Humphrey Bogart is an anti-fascist in it. Uh, you know, arms selling arms to uh, Ethiopian rebels and stuff. So 
it, it's a yeah that that's also another factor i love the duality of that that you brought that up and it's just it is a very cool sounding name it's a it's a beautiful it is a beautiful name unto itself so like that you can talk about all of like the complexity of that along with the duality that you just mentioned so yeah that's really yeah cool. even the spelling actually is the spelling is the ilsa is like a diminutive of elizabeth but the the spelling that they use for the movie is different than ilsa cock the um butch of bitch of Buchenwald, which was spelled like e-l-s-e um mm. and i think from what i read the ilsa is like a combination of like the german and the hebrew spelling so it's kind of interesting huh very cool well, um, so Brandon, uh, per our new organization of how we're going to do this, you're at the top of the queue for the next movie. So what do you got for us for the next episode? Uh, we are going to dig into John Flynn's 1994 cyber horror movie, Brain Scan. Yes. Oh, daddy. Yeah, nice. baby. Eddie Fur- I like that. Eddie Furlong pre-drugged out mania. So it should yeah. be good. That's great. I love it. I'm looking forward to talking about that one. Yeah, you guys okay. have me on again. I want to talk movies with you guys in the future. And thanks Absolutely. so much for having me this time. This yeah, is the first time great. I've ever been a podcast, so it's a lot of fun. You did, it's great. Uh, I loved having you on. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, like I would definitely like to have you on sooner than later. So, you know, maybe it. we'll have you on again before the end of the year. So Hell yeah, definitely. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. Our outro music is provided by the band Ilsa and Orion. Which song is it going to be? Shibboleth. Off the last album. Okay, cool. For Brandon Hayden and for John Hoffman, who's eating barbecue somewhere, and Orion Peter, this has been another episode, and we'll see you next time, Brain Scanners. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.